Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice Season 5. So it's been a while, <laughs> and uh, there's been some things happening this year. Uh, we have uh, delayed the start of This Week in Voice uh, as we have adjusted to pandemic conditions and the fact that uh, there's been information overload and uh, le less people having commutes, um, so less opportunity to consume podcasts. But now we're back and, uh, and we're proud to do it and uh, excited to do it. We got a lot of ground to cover and we're honored to now, as, as of season five, complement This Week in Voice, the podcast and the show with This Week in Voice VIP, the newsletter, and we'll be able to do a lot of interesting things with the interplay there, so we're excited about that. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee, and we are thrilled to have a phenomenal slate of guests to start season five. Our first is Daniela Braga. Daniela, say hello. Hello, Brad. And you're on mute there, Daniela. There you go. Hello, everybody. I'm nice sure I butchered your last name, but uh, t tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do. Uh, Daniela Braga, founder and CEO of The Fine Crowd. Uh, 20 years in the speech industry uh, in, and in AI and NLP. Uh, and our company, The Fine Crowd, is, uh, uh, is basically a factory of data for AI across uh, multilingual. Um, and so across speech natural language processing and the computer vision uh, data. So we, we uh, provide data to everybody building uh, these applications. Thank you for being here and you're doing remarkable work. It's been fun to watch you and uh, you've been in the news a few times this year. We won't, we won't go into all of them. You've been kicking a lot of ass. Uh, thanks for giving us some of your time. Next up is Derek Roberti. Derek, say hello. Hey, Derek Roberti. Good to be here with everybody today. I am with Cognigy, as Bradley mentioned, and I manage the technology side of the business for Cognigy in North America. We are a conversational automation platform for customer experience. So we automate conversations and we provide tooling that meets the needs of both developers and non-technical users. And we encourage businesses to look internally and see where they're paying money to have conversations and automate them when possible. Um, if I were to say a couple things that make our platform different, uh, first thing would be our best in class graphical editor. Everyone loves their graphical editors, but I really think we have cracked the code and created something really unique uh, once you get your hands on it. And I think also our deep multi-channel and multimodal support. Uh, our clients are typically focused on contact center scenarios, so customer experience, customer service. Uh, so automating voice over the phone or through multimodal IVR interactions is, is our sweet spot, but we, of course, also do text-based chatbots on different channels. Um, the interesting thing about Cognigy, our name isn't German, even though it may sound like German, but we are founded in Dusseldorf, Germany, and that's where all of our software development takes place. So we always brag about the German engineering that goes into our product, and uh, we've got a great roster of customers in Europe, the U.S., and APAC. Derek, thank you for being here. And, and I love Define Crowd's name. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a sharp name. But Cognigy sounds like a word that should have existed all along. Actually, all three of the names of, of companies on this 
on this show are fantastic. So uh, the Cognigy, it, it just, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's cool. Thank you for being here with us. You are one of the few people who have given us that feedback. People struggle with how to pronounce Cognigy, but it is a cognitive technology. And I agree with you. It should have been a word that was with us all along. Yeah, it feels like that. Um, our third guest is Nils Linky. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that as well. Nils, uh, nice to meet you. Say hello. No problem. Nice to meet you. Nice to be here. Thanks. Uh, Nils Lenke, actually. Uh, I'm actually in Germany. And I was drive from Dusseldorf, so where the other company was founded. Um, I've been in AI and speech for 36 years now, and I'm with a company called Sarens. Um, Sarens is the leading provider of uh, uh, conversational AI for the automotive space and more broadly for mobility services. Um, you may know us or you may not. We actually just celebrated our first anniversary. Um, last year, October, we got spun out of Nuance, a company probably most of you would know. And um, we provide AI for, for cars. Um, that's, that's our ex reason for existence. And, and more broadly, other mobility services, as I said. So um, you may know us from uh, systems like Ford Sync or um, FCA Uconnect or Mercedes MBUX or BMW um, Intelligent Personal Assistant. All these systems are powered by our technology. Yeah? And, and we care about connecting drivers and passengers to two vehicles. That's our, that's what we do. Mills, thank you for being here. And as I was remarking before the show started, I feel like I've got my PhD in Serence. Um, after remember uh, some of your colleagues very generously spent time with me and um, filled me in on some things that allowed me to write a piece sort of documenting the, your, your spinoff. And congratulations on one year. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So with that, we'll get to the news. And with This Week in Voice, uh, certainly our season opening episodes, uh, this now being the fifth one of those, we like to do a sort of heat check on the major ecosystems. And three of the five stories that we have on the slate today will help us accomplish that. The first one is from VoiceBot. Google Duplex can book haircuts two years after stage demo. So, Daniela, I'm going to start with you. And, um, you know, this story is it's brief, it's concise, but it's an interesting sort of look back at uh, what we all went through with, with Google Duplex and sort of where it's come and what it can do now, what they're trying to do. Um, you're the CEO of a very fast-growing company, um, company making a lot of waves. When you look at Google's ecosystem, whether duplex, assistant, anything else. Um, how do you view Google versus Amazon? Do you think Google is, you know, it's a full-on duopoly, like I sort of like to characterize it? Do you think uh, Google duplex is going to just uh, put Amazon in the dust? How do you view Google's ecosystem? So I, I have to say that I have a great admiration for the speech group at Google, uh, a lot of a lot of those folks I I, I know from past lives, and I've watched uh, Google launch the first voice search in 2010 uh, at Interspeech, uh, and basically everybody in in a year they did a an, a progress that really very few companies uh, were doing in the space, and we were working on that already for 10 years, uh, and everybody the world was working in speech recognition for since the 60s, really. 
So I look at the progress that Google has done um, in, uh, with, with a lot of respect, I have to say. <clears throat> I, I, I like the, the fact that they, uh, and they obviously, they've been pioneering uh, the space. They've been pushing more products uh, where others were not uh, making those bets. So they were more afraid of making those moves, even mostly by, by launching things that were not completely working very well but pushing them to market, which is really important. You know, perfection is enemy of any launch. Uh, a lot of us are always being, especially the enterprise clients, companies that are moving, that serve enterprises like Microsoft, IBM, and Nuance, they are more careful with what they put out uh, than, than companies like uh, Amazon. So I, I like, Amazon, sorry, like Google. So I like that fast, uh, uh, so the fact that things, uh, the fact that they actually were able to launch two years later, uh, Duplex, even though, of course, nobody could predict that that kind of, app, the application itself is what matters. It's not really the calling to the barber shops or, or the restaurants is, uh, is, is, is the application because then it's a data problem. It doesn't matter what they call, uh, what the AI calls. Um, but the fact that they, they deliver on their promise is really uh, impressive. Uh, unlike, for example, Samsung, who who never saw the smart speaker coming out after the announcement two years ago. So that's the problem when you announce it and you can't deliver. Um, Amazon is a little different. So Amazon, they have a similar approach. I look at Amazon and Google in, in a very, I think Amazon catching up much faster, uh, but also feeding from all the knowledge of industry. They came later and they already had the, the, the way paved, right? That's a big difference. Um, Amazon has been doing a very good job there too. But the thing is, um, both of them are similar in the way that they look at a consumer uh, market. And obviously consumer markets have, then that's where the data problem comes in. The way these companies have been building their models is over years of no policy around data privacy. And it's not the case with the other companies that, and if in the beginning, some of them were doing that too, very quickly, the enterprise oriented companies were, did not do that. They were much more careful about their clients' data privacy, even taking in a world there where there was really no policy around data privacy or ethics at that point. So that's just the only thing that makes us all a little uncomfortable and uh, me in particular being in the data space. Uh, we know, we all know how those models got so good. Got so, got, we all know. And it's not necessarily in the way we believe that should be. And the world is starting, or the regions are starting to not buy into that kind of, um, uh, of approach. But that's... Yeah. And if my two cents were a little longer than two. No, that's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. So Derek, you know, Danielle is talking about sort of the resilience that Google has shown over the last two years and talking about, you know, how their posture on some things has been to the benefit of everybody. And uh, but yet there are some trade-offs uh, with you and Cognigy. You know, do you agree with, with, you know, a lot of what Daniela just said? How do you view Google and their ecosystem um, from your perspective? And you're on mute. 
Thank you, sir. I think it shows for me the different takes on what the Google duplex demo actually was. Um, so there's one lens on it, which is kind of a data lens to say how how did the um, how does the speech recognition get so good, or how does the conversational automation get so good? Um, what when I saw the demo from a conversational automation perspective, I was like not incredibly impressed, and I was very frustrated by this because probably a hundred people forwarded me either a LinkedIn post or just a link over email so I could watch the video. And they're so effective in marketing this content. But the substance of what they were doing was just basic intent detection and slot filling. Um, and at the same time, and you know, a year before that, Dialogflow could do that, Cognigy could do that, Amazon could do that. And so that part, while well, good, it wasn't so innovative. And, and we immediately made the same kind of duplex demo ourselves just to demonstrate how commonplace the technology was. I think the, what really impressed people and continues to impress me is the quality of the human-like voice itself. So not the ability to book a haircut or make a restaurant reservation, which kind of any conversational platform can do, but just the quality of that human-like speech. But if you look at the article, um, that you shared, they say that all of these conversations, the recipients know they're talking to an AI. So they know it's automated. So I kind of get lost of, even though it's a technical feat for sure, to pull off this voice that sounds so human-like, um, I'm not clear on what the application of it actually is. <clears throat> well, they've taken a bit of a circuitous route, <laughs> you know, as a result of uh, just the violent backlash. And uh, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it, it is interesting to note that uh, you're right, um, as opposed to two years ago, now they're disclosing once, twice, three times, you know, that they're talking to an AI that that's going to have consequences. That's, that's interesting to point out. Um, it's, it'll be interesting to see if that impedes their growth at all. It looks like it's um, remains to be seen. Nils, I want to get your thoughts as well. So from Sarence's standpoint, um, you know, the work that y'all do in, you know, intermediates the, the different voice assistants in the car, you know, you sort of sit a layer above. And so you've got this interesting line of sight on the ecosystems as well from what y'all do. Your thoughts on Google and what they're doing. I mean, um, they're clearly, they're great in technology and uh, clearly have done great things. And um, they're also very visible, right? So they have helped the, the market a lot by just creating aware, awareness together with Amazon and other, others. I mean, people tend to forget then there has been speech for, for quite a long time. We have put speech into 320 million cars by now, right? People tend to forget that. It, um, it, it's a lot more than Alexa devices are out there, for example, and, and also systems Google has, has put out there um, in, in, in smart speakers. But, but clearly these companies, because of their brand value um, and, and their, their reach into consumers, they have helped a lot to, um, to make the market grow and, mark, uh, and, and create uh, awareness for the technology. That, that's really great. And um, the case in this article highlights, again, this triangle of technology is one thing, but then you have usability and you also have ethics. Right. If you if you deal with AI, you cannot just push technology out. You alluded to it. There might be pushback. You need to think about how usable is it. Will users adopt it? Do they like using it? 
And then the ethical considerations. Is it okay to pretend um, you're a human being when you aren't? Yeah? Do, you, do you fool people into believing they're talking to a human, but they're talking, talking to duplex? Things like that. I think it's, it was a great case to, um, to illustrate all this. And, and for example, we also use neural TTS, uh, very human-like TTS, but we use it for different purposes. We just launched a product for news reading in the car. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you cannot... Um, Human-wise, you cannot record all that because it com comes out every minute. And on the other hand, um, you cannot use a standard TTS to read out long text. It gets really frustrating for listeners. But with the neural TTS, it's really human-like. You can do something like news reading. But still, people know it's a machine reading news to them. They don't believe it's a human being. So it was a slightly different approach to things there, I would say. Excellent. Yeah. So that's, I that, uh, appreciate your thoughts on that. And that's really interesting. I appreciate all y'all. So um, we will rotate the order as we go through. I'm, I, I want to juxtapose that conversation we just had with this next one. Story number two from ZDNet, Amazon Alexa is driving IT managers crazy. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you can't help but laugh, not laugh at that. Um, so, uh, so while I, I would summarize the comments that, that y'all just made, you know, about Google as, you know, respectful, um, impressed, you know, but maybe cautious um, in terms of what they're doing. Um, I want to do a similar sort of look at Amazon. And this, this article is really interesting. It talks about a, a survey of 6,000 IT managers and how they could really do without uh, Alexa in many ways. Derek, I'm going to start with you. Um, your thoughts on Amazon and the Alexa ecosystem. Have they, you know, they undisputably had the lead. They were out in front. Uh, Google has caught up uh, according to several different metrics. Um, others, maybe it's a little less clear. Um, is, is Alexa slipping? Or are they keeping the pace? Um, your, your thoughts on Amazon and everything they're doing with Alexa. And you're on mute again. I'm just trying to get that extra three seconds of time <laughs> where you can call. Hoping you'll say Cognigy again. <laughs> um, the, uh, I have so much respect for, for all of the engineering that's done behind Alexa. It's, it's completely impressive. And I honor everyone working on uh, that platform. The, you know, Alexa, Amazon had an Alexa for business initiative that probably started two-ish years ago, um, where they really saw that they have this great consumer device, they want to make it more and more pervasive, but it really didn't fit into the enterprise. So for example, how do you provision 200 Alexa devices? Um, with computers and with uh, mobile device management, that's that's straightforward enough. But how does that fit in with Alexa? If you need to do software updates, how do you push out software updates across all of the Alexa devices in the enterprise? Um, Alexa for Business started trying to solve for that as well as trying to identify enterprise use cases. Um, I have not seen... Um, there being a lot of compelling use cases uh, that they've discovered. So meeting room, uh, kind of setting up meeting rooms to kick off meetings is kind of one of the technology things they've tried to showcase. But it, it definitely feels like a solution looking for a problem in the enterprise. 
Um, but what what was interesting to me about the article was that um, we've moved naturally for most of us to a work from home scenario. So instead of bringing our Alexas and other IoT devices into the workplace, we're bringing our workplace into our home ecosystem, which already has all of these devices hooked up. So in a sense, it, it mitigates one fear IT might have about bringing these things into the workplace, but it also immerses us uh, amidst a sea of IoT devices. So the same home network I'm using to access my VPN is the same one where I might have IoT devices that haven't had their firmware updated in the past three years. Uh, so so we're living in that world. Um, the The final point I think I'll make that's important about this story for me is that as we're consumers and we're also workers, we want to be able to be in the workplace the same way that we are at home. And having this kind of boundary between what's allowable at work and what's allowable at home from a technology perspective is increasingly counterintuitive. So it could be a positive that comes out of our work from home uh, experience with COVID is that we're forcing that integration um, while also isolating it in the home environment and not putting on a corporate network. Yeah, I think that that's a really uh, interesting perspective. And, uh, you know, from my standpoint, obviously, I'm amazed that the device hasn't managed to go off already. But it was interesting as things were shutting down, uh, my wife, who uh, is a high-powered attorney uh, doing a lot of interesting work, um, a whole protocol came down these you know which included this 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 and by the way you can't you got to have a room where there aren't smart speakers present and that was actually noted um as a specific line item and i thought that that was uh fascinating and a sign of the times nils same question for you your uh you know we talked about google your thoughts on now Amazon and Alexa and everything that Amazon is doing, are they slipping? Are they keeping pace? Your thoughts? Well, um, certainly they, they managed to, to create a totally new form factor, right? Uh, think a few years back, nobody would have known what a smart speaker is, right? I mean, they really invented that category of a product, which is clearly an achievement. Yeah, And they, they helped things so much. They take an aggressive approach. They, um, uh, I mean, uh, parents stop naming their, their daughters um, Alexa, right? So, I mean, clearly an impact on the world. And um, But here the case in, in the article, it really, I mean, uh, as I was thinking the same thing. It, it happens in the home, right? You, we've all been in, con in conference calls where an Alexa went off in, in the background or something, right? And uh, it reminds you thinking about um, where to put things. Uh, Alexa is hooked up to the network. It listens all the time. That's what people perceive. So um, uh, what we do when we build systems in the car, we sit on the edge in the head unit and we sit in the cloud and we have careful conversations with the OEMs, what they feel comfortable with sending to the cloud and processing in the car for privacy reasons. And uh, it, I think it's a good reminder that you really need to think about the smart speaker is just a small thing, but it's hooked up to a network, it routes stuff somewhere. What about privacy? It, it, the, the article brought that to mind. Um, the safety aspect they brought up is only one of that. And, and thinking carefully about where to put information, where to process it, I think is, is an important reminder here. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, completely agree. And Daniela, same question for you. <clears throat> um, relative to Google or in absolute terms, your thoughts on... 
Amazon and Alexa and Amazon's voice ecosystem? So I, I just want to um, uh, not not correct Nils, but just say that Alexa did not invent or Amazon did not invent a smart speaker. Actually, that was already there's a patent uh, produced by VoiceBox in 2005, where they actually created the the smart speaker concept. Uh, but Amazon did an amazing job uh, to uh, push a device that nobody was able to make so cheap. And that, that's the thing, is pushing a very good device with a microphone array that nobody ever before was able to push to consumers so cheap. Uh, it's expensive. Still today, that's, a, that's why a lot of the companies could never get the far field um, speakers out because they fail like and Gbos of the world and because they failed with the hardware component. It's too expensive to produce. And we gotta say kudos to Amazon on that one and on being able to take a hit probably of of um, um, of ROI in the beginning uh, because nobody can imagine that that device is producing money for Amazon for now. And probably now that became massively extended. Uh, it, it was brilliant. I think that is the, the, the one of the things I would like to say. Uh, that definitely that that put the first mover is obviously the one that everybody has an Alexa at home. I have Alexa's here. I have Alexa's at, in the office. Um, it's a little different on our case because obviously Amazon was our, Alexa Fund was one of our investors initially too. So we obviously are totally bought in in the smart smart speaker idea since the beginning and uh, and I and as uh, as the technology was evolving we were never seeing this coming becoming a problem the, the what the article speaks about that the, the perception that they're always listening they're not always listening it's not malicious uh, those devices are, but but they're but they do open up uh, a breach and we've seen many articles talking about that um, they do open up breaches of, of security if you have a home device in a work environment. So the, I think that it was never meant to be a, a, a home device in a work environment. The fact that we're now in COVID moments is obviously is a big problem for that nobody actually opens up a whole different kind of worms that nobody ever expected. It's it's interesting from my standpoint, you know, in preparing for this show, typically when I will search for Alexa, Google Assistant, you know, and just sort of look and see what, what's been happening. Um, usually half of the search results are more will be talking about privacy in some which way. And all three of y'all sort of spoke to that. Um, this time, no. Uh, it was actually pretty decent, pretty, pretty hard to find recent articles talking about, uh, you know, privacy and security as it relates to privacy specifically as it relates to these mainstream smart speakers. And I think that that is obviously a commentary on just this sort of different chapter we're in with COVID. But things have a way of changing. And it'll be interesting to see when that sort of snaps back and privacy becomes um, this uh, major, uh, the only thing anybody wants to talk about, smart speakers, uh, once again. I appreciate the commentary on that from all of y'all. 
Um, story number three from MIT Technology Review, why kids need special protection from AI's influence. So we talk about children on this show routinely. Um, there are stories that come up uh, with relation to voice and AI all the time. This is an interesting one, and Nils, I'm going to start with you. Um, there's a lot going on in this piece. Um, what in particular stood out to you? What are your thoughts on our needs to protect children and how we might do that? <clears throat> uh, yeah, thanks. I, I agree it was a fascinating article, especially if you followed the links and, and read the actual documents from um, from the UN organization there. So because the, 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 the header is a little bit misleading, you could think, oh, this is all about protect um, children against the evil of AI. Yeah? And, and certainly there is some of that. And children especially need protection in, in the area of privacy and, 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 and all that. And that, that's very important and something we take serious, not only for children, but also for grown-ups, um, ethical considerations, protection against bias. And that's, it's all very important. But actually, if you read the article, it was very positive on AI also. It said, the point here is you need to make sure children are included. They have access to AI. It's explained to them. And all children can do because it can help them. And if it's not inclusive, it would exclude them from many services in the world, and we can't have this happen, which is a very positive thought, right? It's not the evil AI, we need to protect our children. The opposite is also true, we need to make sure they have access to it. And, and thinking about it, it's, it's totally true. I mean, even we, we build stuff for the car, you might think, okay, it works for the driver, that's it, they're on grown-ups, adults, but it's not true anymore. We started putting speech also into the passenger seat in, in BMWs a couple of years ago. And the recent S-Class launch, if you follow that, there is now also the speech system is accessible from the back row. And that's where the children sit, right? Imagine you have children and, and the voice system wouldn't work for them. That wouldn't be good. We, we put speech into elevators now to, to control the elevators, which is great in COVID times. You don't have to touch anything. Imagine it wouldn't work for children, right? I mean, they get stuck somewhere because the voice only picks up adults' voices. That wouldn't be good, right? It's a trivial example, but it shows... It's not only about protecting children, but be, be about how can we make this technology work for children, their voices, their way of speaking? How can we make sure they understand what's going on? So how we can we explain how AI works to a child? I found those thoughts very, very interesting. Yeah, uh, that's excellent. So, yeah, and I, I completely agree. And actually, uh, I'm going to come back to the concept that you bring up about sort of equity um, of access um, uh, after, in just a moment. Daniela, I'm going to go to you. Um, your thoughts on the piece, anything particular uh, stand out, uh, your thoughts on AI and children? So my thoughts on that piece just con con confirms that it became uh, more and more difficult because of the, because again, gov uh, regulations are starting to pay attention. When I, not, even in the beginning of the fine crowd five years ago, one of the biggest requests we had all the time was uh, voice collections uh, from children. And, and before that, at Microsoft, we always had to do collections with children, which were very, which were very limited because, uh, because of, of, the, of the actual extra work that it involves collecting voices from children. They have, to be, they have to be able to read, so they have to be over six years old. They, they have to have parental consent. They have to have someone monitoring next to you. It's not uh, like we do in a lot of the collections, crowdsourcing and on your own. So there's many 
And, and of course, children don't know how to set up devices, so you need all a whole entourage around it. It's a very expensive uh, and sophisticated type of collection. Uh, and But over time, even in the last five years, you see states and regulations prohibiting any type of work, and this is kind of usually uh, repaid in, in forms of um, to the schools or to the communities or to, uh, or to the parents or to the children, but you cannot anymore involve children under 14 sometimes in these uh, collections, which makes, uh, which just increases bias in AI because children use AI every day. My daughter uh, is a great user of all my, my speakers and more of the, all, the, all the devices. They naturally are much more tuned to actually use uh, these types of interfaces than uh, adults would. So it's just becoming uh, harder to address bias for, and where the children population is increasingly bigger. And I like the education aspect. I think children can educate technologists on how to interface with, because if we get so limited in the things we ask to the devices, because we assume that the devices are not smart enough children actually don't have that bias or their limitation. They actually think that these devices are as smart as humans and you can ask them anything and, you can, and they can do anything. So which actually m makes technology evolve even better than the, the, the common usage of adults. So I, I, at that level, I'm very pro uh, relaxing a little bit this, these rules because we, we have to involve them. We have to involve them. I think that's great. Yeah, excellent. And uh, Derek, same question for you. Um, a lot of moving parts in the piece. Yeah. Um, anything in particular stand out? Your thoughts on AI and children? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe this is a direction you were going based on your comment earlier as well, Bradley. But, um, you know, first, as, as people have said, is AI is a powerful tool for good. And even if it's not for evil, uh, I'm not sure if targeting ads towards me that's driven by, you know, AI-based algorithms, that's not necessarily evil, but it can manipulate my behavior and my psychology. And, and I think both adults and children um, are in a dynamic with that. Uh, and some of this, this contradiction between how technology helps us and how it hurts us plays out along class lines. So the New York Times, uh, probably last year, published a couple of articles about how the most affluent families are the ones that are the least likely to give their children unfettered access to technology. Um, and for the rest of us, I don't know how, how the scale actually goes, but we use technology as a babysitter, an educator, an entertainer, a way to stay socially connected for ourselves and for our kids. Um, so, so there's some sense that, that this plays out to some degree along class lines is the the exposure to technology and the susceptibility just because of sheer screen time um, to us uh, based on how much we use our screens. But then there's a flip side to it as well, which is during COVID and shelter in place, children, computers have been essential to children to be able to stay connected with their educators. Um, so you have to have a computer now to learn. So another facet of this uh, social equity discussion is how do we get more computers into homes so that people across all income brackets can have computer access and internet access. 
So it's constantly this, this twofold thing of wanting to give more technology, make it available across the social spectrum, but also some sense that we need to shield children and ourselves from the influences of technology. Yeah, well said. So yeah, great comments from, from all three of y'all. And, um, you know, I, I was just on Julie Davis's excellent podcast, Voice in Education, and I, we were talking about this exact uh, issue. Um, and it's, it's interesting, you know, I haven't seen articles about it. I'm sure they exist. I've thought about writing one myself just about um, although I've remarked on this show over probably at some point each of the previous four seasons um, about it, you know, the fact is that Amazon's rapid ascent to mainstream voice stardom, um, it created this, this wake of, it kicked up so much dust, it was hard to tell it, all, all the repercussions of that. And now we are, have fully come to understand that as a direct result of Amazon's um, audience skewing wealthier, skewing more educated, um, that guess what? Alexa uh, is not available to everybody. Um, and despite the fact that, you know, there's been um, multiple documented sort of uh, good educational outcomes from children being able to uh, interact with, with their voice assistant. And, and the one that stands out to me, which I mention in talks all the time is children with a speech growing up with a speech issue as I did, um, you know, you, yes, you go to, you know, speech therapy and, and, and you do all these different things, but um, uh, what they have discovered is that children who have access to Alexa specifically, and now Google, you know, coming along um, and even Siri, which we'll talk about in a second, um, uh, they get over those issues much more rapidly. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, you're able to uh, talk to a voice assistant over and over and over again. It's not judging you like a human being would. Furthermore, it, it cuts you no slack. Um, it either understands you or it doesn't. Um, and uh, super interesting. And, and it, it truly is an equity issue. And that came across in all y'all's comments. But uh, I appreciate uh, the, the, the thoughts on that. Really interesting article and something that uh, certainly we'll be talking more about a season five uh, progresses. Can, can I add can I, one, one thought there? Fire away. Uh, what you said reminded me, um, when I was still part of Nuance, one of the, my happiest day in, in my professional life was we got a video message from a 12-year-old girl, right, who said, I've been using Dragon Naturally Speaking, the meditation product, and um, it solved my problem at school. She had um, dyslexia, so she couldn't spell properly, but she said, everybody thought I'm dumb because all my text is full of mistakes. Since I dictate with Dragon, because Dragon, of course, doesn't make any mistakes, now people see I can write smart text and, and your product uh, changed my life. Yeah? And this is the moment, these are the moments when you, you feel what you're doing is really the right thing. As you say, I mean, it helps children overcome problems they have and they, they need to have access to it. Every, every child, right? Not just the rich. I completely agree. And it also reminds me of, you know, at Project Voice, uh, before the world started shutting down, we had uh, Google and the Canadian Down Syndrome Society have a joint venture called Project Understood. And it basically um, exists to uh, attempt to ensure that Google Assistant is better at understanding people with Down Syndrome than it otherwise would have been. So, you know, vo voice assistants understand 
19 out of 20, 39 out of 40, you know, a lot, a lot of words that a normal human being uh, says, uh, people with Down syndrome, it understands one out of three words. So it speaks to uh, Daniela's point about how we want to have children um, as part of our data set so they don't get left behind, uh, which is a really, uh, I think it's spot on because we were able to observe, you know, there's many other situations in addition to kids where that's the case. And it's just how to do it responsibly um, is where the rubber meets the road on that. I appreciate you interjecting that. Any other thoughts on that? I'm not going to give much airtime to Apple. I refuse. So any other, if there's any other app, so, uh, okay, cool. We'll move on to story number four. Um, as always, uh, as has been a, a tradition of this show since uh, the this season one, episode one, we will now check in on Apple. So let's do that. Uh, from nine to five Mac, Apple announces $99 HomePod mini smart, smart speaker and new Siri features. Okay. So, um, uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, the, the Apple slander runs deep on this show. Um, you know, we, we respect, uh, plenty that they do, but, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, we, we take our shots at them too. Daniela, I'm going to start with you. Um, does anything that Apple is doing, um, matter to you? Uh, do you care about these announcements that they rolled out? Are you optimistic about Siri at all for any reason, or is it just whatever, get back to me when you catch up? <laughs> well, um, this, this article clearly shows that they're late to the, to the, to the party, uh, but they were able to put a product with a, with a competitive price with the others. So that, even though in the equivalence kind of in between the, the, the cheaper versions of Google and, uh, and Amazon and the most expensive uh, speakers of all of the others. Uh, I, I think I, I really have to say that I am actually, Siri has improved a lot in the last couple of years. Um, a little always late to the show, but the fact is um, they... They always have. Um, they will always have an audience because they will. They they were able to uh, appeal. They are able to appeal to a segment of population that wants to be exclusive. That likes the the aesthetics of the devices and 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 that for for which price is actually not a problem, uh, which actually surprises me that they come up with something competitive on price. Um, obviously, to 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 push to, to the market, uh, but um, I, I find it really hard for someone who already has an Alexa or a Google at home to go buy that device, uh, especially because of integrations with uh, with their phones. It's just a whole complication. No, but I do like uh, a lot the latest uh, translator that uh, Apple sent, uh, uh, launched in in Siri. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a, a pretty cool, uh, differentiator, uh, compared to uh, other, other smart spe other uh, digital assistants. Uh, in the end of the day, uh, Apple is a consumer product, but a different level of consumers. Again, this other level of consumer. So they will have to come up with things that appeal to people who travel, people who are more multinational, 
or or other other that have other types of needs that interact with different kinds of services. Probably not the barber shops, but uh, that need to probably check uh, the stock exchange and things like that. So it's a it's a whole. I think it's interesting. Um, there's there's a there's a there's room for for Apple for sure in this uh, more consumer market. If Siri's interacting with the barber shop, it's because it called it on accident. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Derek, uh, your thoughts on Apple, uh, their recent announcements, and if anything that Apple is doing uh, matters at this moment in time, uh, despite maybe the trajectory you heard from Daniela uh, with what you're doing at Cognigy. I, I would say similar to Daniela, that was kind of a head scratcher and we all have to kind of figure out why did Apple enter the, you know, low cost smart speaker market um, because there's so many other and better options out there. Um, some of the new features that they've brought onto the smart speaker, like the intercom mode have existed on the Apple watch for two or three years at this point in time. So there's not, not a ton of innovation in terms of, what the speaker can do. And naturally that's been a, a, a feature of Alexa for, for a long time as well. So a little bit of a head scratcher, but I'm trying to kind of find a couple of nuggets in this story. One is really that maybe Apple has decided that the smart speaker doesn't need to be all that smart because the common use cases uh, you know, of checking the weather, setting the timer, playing music, all of that can be done with Siri and and maybe they don't really need to worry about opening up a really rich, you know, skills creation community like Alexa has. Maybe that's their their decision. The other thought I had about it was along this privacy topic we've been talking about. As a consumer, you know, the one thing that might differentiate a smart speaker from Apple versus one from Google or Alexa is the idea that Apple's the only company that's not in the business of monetizing your data. Um, so they want to sell you products, but all they want to do is sell you more, more Apple products. Um, they're not an e-commerce giant. Uh, they're not pushing ads to you uh, in the way that Google does. So maybe a, a way to look at it is if you want to be in the, have the smart speaker device and a lot of the capabilities, but you are wary of how your data might be used by Amazon and Google, it could be a good choice. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's a great point. And, and um, I'm sure what they're, what they're hoping for um, Nils, with what y'all do, you know, with the car, um, you know, you probably interact with Apple maybe more than anybody, um, you know, uh, of the three guests, your thoughts, uh, on Apple, these announcements, um, does it resonate with you or not? Um, well, I have deep respect for Apple and, and their design qualities and the products they put out there. They work, they're hassle-free and all that. I mean, my, my father is 82. We got him a smartphone some years ago. He he can operate the, the iPhone easily. Not sure it would work with other systems where there is more to do, right? I mean, I, I like this that they think it through the end. You don't have to really worry about how to plug something in. It, it just works, right? I, I admire that. And you, you're right. We see them in... Um, in the car, we, we we can connect from our systems, reach out to to um, to Siri and, and and the Apple ecosystem, empower integration of that into into vehicles. So that's that's something uh, we we deal with. What I found interesting in the article is that they have picked up voice biometrics apparently. So the article spoke to the fact that it can um, 
detect by the voice who is speaking and, and then adjust the contents. And that's something we do as well. I think it's it's very important because it, it solves some of the problems we touched upon earlier, like um, I mean, voice biometrics can do identification of speakers. The same is in the new S-Class, by the way. Again, it's not pioneering by Apple, but it's, it's something they do well, I believe, um, following that. In the S-Class, by the voice, the car decides who is speaking and pick up the right profile. Yeah, it, it pulls up your music preferences, the, your heat, the, the, the seat um, adjustment and all that. So you can use voice biometrics for that. That's apparently what they now also do. You can also use voice biometrics for authentication, for payments, something that's clearly coming. We do this in the car. And then finally, you can also use voice biometrics for classifying people. You can detect, for example, a child is speaking and shield them from some of the evil aspects of AI, right? So I think voice biometrics appearing in, in Siri and in smart speakers is, is a good thing. Yeah? And, and that Apple now also does it, I believe, is, is something they do right. And typically, they do things well. When they do it, they do it well, and they have a really um, good design and all that. So I, uh, I like what they do. Excellent. So the general consensus there, there's respect, you know, they got, they got a ways to go, but they the respect level is intact. That's, that's good to see. We're all hopeful that they uh, continue to make progress. We're going to close with uh, story number five and it's from tech, tech Republic. Uh, pandemic accelerated the adoption and sophistication of IOT technology. So um rather than talk about this article, if, if you something jumped out at you, feel free to mention it. But I want to provide the opportunity really just to, to see if you agree. Um, you know, I was reading something the other day that talked about how um, uh, these particular academics thought that the pandemic uh, and everything that came with it has accelerated uh, different industries and different sectors as much as five to 10 years ahead of where they would have been um, over this nine-month, 10-month period or, or however far you want to go back. And I, I, think, I see evidence of that um, in different things that I pay attention to. And I certainly think you can make the argument with voice and AI. Derek, I'm going to start with you and then go to Nils and then close with Daniela. Um, first of all, do you agree with that premise? Second of all, tell me something about your company, Cognigy, that excites you, you know, given that, you know, this acceleration we just talked about, and if it exists, um, or even if it doesn't, something that you're excited about for your company heading into 2021? Yes, I very much agree. I don't know if COVID is accelerating the, you know, underlying technological development, but it is pushing the imperative of technology and automation specifically into the enterprise. So a lot of companies that have been slow to adopt automation technologies just through general conservatism in IT or in their business processes are now having to address, hey, with COVID, we have a lot of clients whose contact centers have really blown up because they have so much more inbound calls uh, than they did just based on the nature of the businesses that they're in. So they're thinking about, we've got to look seriously at how to automate this. Um, so if you go back, you know, you're talking about searching web, if you go back to 2016, there was a lot of hype around Facebook Messenger bots and Alexa, and everyone was so excited. 
And it was always clear that just one more year and, you know, everyone, chatbots would be everywhere and voice bots would be everywhere. And, and we haven't really seen that. We've seen kind of just a gradual and continuous adoption of these technologies. But I think COVID injects some imperative and urgency into adopting automation uh, that, that will affect the industry that we're in. So I would say for us, if I look to 2021, we are looking at a lot more automation of the contact center. So seeing voice bots as being a major focus for contact centers and customer service and chatbots will only increase and accelerate to where, you know, again, the actual usage will catch up to where the state of the art of the technology is. Excellent. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's great. Nil, same question for you. Do you agree with this underlying premise uh, that uh, COVID has accelerated things across the board or maybe specifically for you and Serence? And hit me with something that um, you're excited about, Serence is excited about heading into 2021. Sure. Um, so, yes, I agree. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm, I'm buying to the five to 10 year thing, but clearly it has accelerated things. Not so much technology, as also Derek pointed out, but the adoption, right? I mean, if I take payments, for example, uh, contactless payments, um, I mean, frankly, in Germany, people are very conserv conservative and obsessed about cash, right? Um, coins and all that, and, and how the adoption has exploded of, of uh, contactless payment methods is really amazing. And um, we see the same in what we do. We've launched two products this year. One is Car Life, where we, we help uh, voice enable and automate the, the sales process of a car and then uh, with the consumer entering their car, learning about the car. So, I mean, selling cars without entering a showroom is something that's really that, that came came uh, into existence with Tesla, but it has really accelerated. And then also payments. We, we launched another product that allows to do payments at a gas station or for parking with, with voice from your car. And it really resonates with what's going on. People don't want to touch any buttons, any, any machines, etc. So we, it's really about the psycho psychology and the adoption of technology, not necessarily adoption in itself. Yeah? And then, yeah, I mean, we're a little bit ahead here as Serence because our financial year starts October 1st. So we're actually already in 21. Yeah? As I said, it was our first uh, anniversary um, two weeks ago. And um, we're really excited because our, our stock price tripled last year. So it looks like we are not doing it all wrong, right? We're getting some things right, it looks like. It's it's very fast moving uh, for us at the moment as a company, and um, I look back to 25 years with this company. Apparently, not obviously not not all under Saren's branding. There was different names before, but 25 years it will be tomorrow actually. So good time of your show. <laughs> and and if I compare now to 25 years ago, so first of all, back then I spent 50% of my time explaining why you need speech. Yeah, and I don't have to do this anymore, right? Uh, people have to explain why a gadget, a car does not have speech, right? That's wonderful, right? I mean, it's really here. What we hoped for back then is now reality. Everybody takes it as granted, and that, that's fantastic. And 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 I'm enjoying this this phase of my career more than any other, I have to say, because we are moving so fast as a company, and, and the whole market is developing. It, it's really a great time to be in. Uh, well, from that perspective, I, I could do without COVID, frankly, but from a professional perspective, it's great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And congratulations on 25 years. Uh, you'd be in the, uh, the sage of, of Serence now. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's excellent. 
Daniela, uh, same question to you to close, uh, and then I'll uh, thank all of y'all for being and here. I'll but be brief because uh, my colleagues already said most of it. <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, you do you agree? And uh, most importantly, something you're most excited about for Define Crowd heading into 2021. So yes, well, I'm very excited. So COVID changed the world. Uh, I have to say that I, I totally agree with Derek, Derek in the way that we see a lot of clients that were looking into digital assistants and, and bots already, but as almost like POCs, knowing that they would have to do that down the road in the five years, probably frame time frame. And now are oh my God, we have an inbound of calls, an explosion of, of call center, uh, of people hitting our call centers, especially the telcos, the financial uh, services, and healthcare. And we have even doubling the capacity, we cannot uh, respond to all the calls. So, that said, it's very exciting for the fine crowd for next year. We we see people having to hurry up their roadmap. Uh, that doesn't mean we're going to make miracles. There's a lot of expectation and wrong expectation about where the state of the art of technology is uh, in terms of responding uh, in a conversational way to 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 people. Um, so, but so there's still, and, and people don't understand that they need to invest on that on data underlying for that to happen and to be more robust. Um, but I I do uh, have to still explain a lot to my clients why do they need speech, especially in the in the verticals that are not tech or robotics or more you know technology speaking. So I and governments. So I still do need to explain a lot. Maybe not in the automotive because you guys have been around for a long time and became regulation to have, um, became a policy to have a, a hands-free uh, interaction with the car. Uh, but the rest of the world is clearly COVID is, is pushing it, and but it's uh, and it takes a, it's take, it's going to take care of all of us to to we're going to be very busy next next year. That's that's for sure. Daniela, Derek, Nils, thank all three of you very, very much for being part of the season premiere of season five this week in Voice. It's been an honor having you on the show. For, for this week in Voice, uh, season five, episode one, uh, kicking things off in grand style. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you're listening on major podcast provider of choice, thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube until next time.